I could say like with numbers, you could also find market imperfections mm. if you're good at statistics. And I found quite a lot market yes. imperfections yes. and you shouldn't start a company if you don't serve a market or societal imperfection, obviously. My name is Innocent Mugenga and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. We all come from somewhere and aim to make a journey through life. Constant change. This is an open-ended exploration of our ability and desire to learn, grow, and adapt. In conversation with inspiring individuals and experts in the fields of sciences, technology, behavior, and performance, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. The future is happening now, and we aspire to evenly distribute the knowledge by empowering your learnability. Let's go. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much. Pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to be here. Finally, we're doing this. Yes, finally. <laughs> we, we got it together. Yes. So how have your days been? Are you working a lot with Internet Organa? Internet Days? Um, yeah, I'm working with internet days, among other things. Um, it's quite hectic, like in general, but in a good way. So yeah. I'm, I'm not complaining. I want to thank you once again for inviting me to moderate one of the panels. Oh, thank it's you for honor. saying yes. No, it's an honor to be involved. I don't know if you've shared that much about yourself and your journey. Oh, wow. Previously. I try not to. <laughs> as little as possible. Just to give people a view of what you do. You're the founder and CEO of uh, The Social Few. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us just briefly, we will go more into The Social Few later on in the episode, mm -hmm. but just give us a, a view. Yeah, so we work with diversity management from a data-driven uh, point of view. So basically with data-driven inclusion in uh, organizations, both internally and externally, making sure to increase the perspective density into companies in order to create a higher level of innovation, creativity, etc. I really like your approach of uh, it being really data-driven and uh, very practical and applicable. Mm. And you can work with, which you've done, really large organization and create change within them. Mm. But I want to explore sort of if we can find answers to how you got into this and how you became this driven individual, which I found you, find you to be. So... Wow. Can we take it all the way back <laughs> and tell us about your upbringing and, and your dreams and ambitions when you were a young girl? Wow. Way back. And when I say way back, it's because I'm 35. <laughs> so it is way back. Um, going back, way back. Uh, I grew up in Rosengård and Malmö with parents. Uh, my father was a doctor. My mother was a kindergartner teacher. Well, she was schooled to be. Uh, a lawyer, but since she, they moved to Sweden, she had to go back to school. Um, I had a quite privileged background, yeah. actually, mm -hmm. uh, considering the fact that I haven't experienced any type of exclusion until I started uh, gymnasium, because within Rosengård, there were so many different perspectives. Could you give us a little bit of a view of Rosengård, the Rosengård you grew up in and, yeah. it was, and how it's developed? Yeah. Um, so from, I can only say how it was when I grew up and my parents still lived there. It was amazing, uh, to be frank. We had amazing teachers. Uh, and thinking about it now, 
I didn't realize it then, but the teachers that we did have that were Swedish, they had a really deep understanding of different cultures, which was a reason why they were there, because they were interested in in, in um, harvesting uh, from the different perspectives and what came out from that. So in that sense, uh, also, I was very privileged. Uh, I had good good schools. Um, I went to Rosengårdsskolan, that is often referred to as a problematic school these yeah. days. And I, even back then, it was so-called problematic. I didn't really experience it that way. Uh, so being a student in this school, it was just school. Basically, yeah. I mean, it is difficult to benchmark with something else because that was my reality. But coming to a school and to a class with friends from all over the world, which it was like all continents were kind of representative well, most most of continents, actually. And still, we've, we found each other uh, on an everyday basis. So co- going back to, or going, starting uh, gymnasium uh, at when I was 15, 16, uh, that was a shock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then I went to sc- in, uh, a school in, uh, in the city, in, in Malmö. In Malmö city, yeah. yeah. And for like the international uh, listeners, is uh, Rosengård the most... Uh, problematized uh, area in, in, in Stockholm, oh, sorry, in Sweden? Well, I can't really ask. In the media. Yeah, in the media. I would say that there is a, it's a combination between a couple of, of uh, areas. I think Rinkebytensta is one, yes. um, like in, in media. Uh, Rosengård is definitely one. I know that they're in, in Gothenburg also. Um but yeah, it is, it is supposed to be some sort of like a. I, I heard people are talking about these areas as no go zones, yes. which is absolutely absurd, considering the fact that no go zones and and real no go zones area look quite different than yes. the ones in Sweden. I heard somebody say like it's an it's not a no go zone, it's a no show zone. No, uh, cho- show, no show zone. Yeah, people are not uh, experiencing these areas mm-hmm. uh, from the outside. More correct than yeah. a no go no uh, go zone. Absolutely. So you moved to Malmö city. Did you move as well or just start school in, in the city? Well, in, in gymnasium, I yeah. still le- lived at home with okay. my parents yeah. until I was 18, 19. I moved away from home uh, first time during that ter- period. It was like three long years <laughs> <laughs> in Pauli school on hey, hey. <laughs> You're talking about the contrast or the, the switch. What happened with you? Well, I realized I wasn't viewed as everybody else uh, and everybody else was not me. <laughs> so it was a, a, quite a, a shock. I wasn't invited to uh, like certain parties or whatever. And it was quite open, you know, that I heard like comments like, you, I, we don't think that your parents will, will uh, approve of this or whatnot. Yeah, really strange uh, things. But what happened to me is I realized that I've been living in a quite sheltered, quite privileged area from my point of view. And I just realized that the reality doesn't look really this way, not in Sweden anyway. Sheltered, like, is, is it in that case sheltered from uh, a homogenous environment? Mm. Or because it seems like the other way of, around how people would mm. describe living in a sheltered environment. Exactly. I think there are many ways of being sheltered. I think that the mechanism behind them are the same. Whether you're sheltered in... Uh, in so-called socio-economically positive areas or negative areas um, depends on how you view it. Uh, from my perspective, I didn't experience racism mm. or uh, 
exclusion in any way, shape or form until I started gymnasium. Oh, yeah. So that's why I feel like I was quite sheltered and my parents were quite keen on making sure that uh, we didn't experience it until we really had to. So what did you study in gymnasium and what were your ambitions sort of or what was it, were your dreams? What did you want to become? Yeah, so I, I, quite early I I, uh, I was taught to become a, a doctor. My father is a doctor. So I was brought up in that way, basically. My my father came home with uh, like uh, x-rays and stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> but early I was, uh, I liked to watch surgeries on TV as a kid. Uh, I still, I'm not really that sensitive of blood uh, oh, yeah. and that kind of things. Um, and I still, uh, I'm, I'm quite like a little bit of this house doctor. So when somebody's ill at home, I'm like... I think. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> and you, I injured my eye during boxing and you say it might be a fra- fracture oh, yeah. in, the I've, I, in the eye. I've actually taken that with me and said it to people. It yeah. might be a fracture. Susan told me. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. It might be wrong. <laughs> fake information. Exactly. <laughs> Spreading all those fake, <laughs> fake info. Um, but yeah, th- that was something that, uh, of course, my, was my parents ambition uh, coming to a new country um, they were quite keen on like us enjoying the, the freedom oh, yeah. uh, and, and of school yeah. uh, free education and so on so yeah that was my ambition because my ambitions were living through it was living through my parents yes. ambitions at that, of, at that time yes mirroring which yes. is natural in that yes yeah. absolutely so you started towards that towards becoming a doctor I'm guessing. Yes, uh, quite early there. However, I changed my mind. I've always had a thing for math, uh, yeah. for numbers, uh, since I was a kid. I, I remember um, my father. He he's also kind of a, a, a math head. Yeah. Um, not a meth head. <laughs> math. Math. Let's just be clear on that. Uh, <laughs> let's just put it out there. Um, and uh, we were uh, like studying. He was helping me with with my um, homework, and at one point I knew a little bit more. Oh, oh. <laughs> and yeah, and he was like, he was proud and angry at the same yeah. time. I'll yeah. never forget that. <laughs> I was like that. No, no, I don't think that that's the way to do it. And I, I remember I went in the seventh grade, and of course he didn't study it, like that math in many years. I yes. understand that, but for him it was like. He, w- I could see like the pride in his yes. eyes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> both like pride in like, oh, wow, my daughter, she knows more than me or something like that. Yeah. And, and the pride in like, oh, my God, I see she just knows she just knew more than me. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, like, like both ways. Good job, my daughter. Yes. No dinner for you. <laughs> like that, yeah, something like that. Yeah. No cake. No, cake. <laughs> <laughs> no dessert. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like it's a it's a kind of universal language mm-hmm. i could really communicate with even with uh, with uh, our uh, my classmates that just arrived from other countries and they usually knew more math than we did here in sweden because they came from middle east and other parts of the world where math uh, you learn like kind of advanced math quite early so i found like that's that was an amazing way of us like communicating and finding our our common grounds i like the description another language yeah for communicating. It's absolutely a language. It's a universal language yeah. of truth uh, most of the time. Yeah. Depends on how you use it, of course. 
Um, so yeah, um, quite early in the gymnasium, I realized, okay, I need to take my math knowledge and do something like wise with it. And since I do like math and numbers, I decided quite early that statistics was, would be something for me. Uh, since I do <laughs> also, I quite early realized I had to prove a lot. And what way to prove is better than proving with numbers? So that's where I started off. So you drew that conclusion yes. from, from experience there. You're starting to gain experience. Yes. And I realized that in my dialogues, like a lot with my classmates back then, I had to say like, okay, but you should know that this and this amount of percent of the population is da 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 and doing that. and da-da. So I tended to kind of trying to prove a point all the time with mm. numbers. And mm. I, I find it quite comfortable and a nice way because it's really difficult to answer back and say, no, that's not the truth. Well, actually it is, you know. There's no better argument than backing it up with yeah. actual statistics. Yes. And that makes a whole lot of sense connecting to what you're doing today. Yes. But... I'm guessing you didn't uh, start the social view back then. <laughs> what, I did not. <laughs> what path led you to founding the social view? Well, after that, I studied, after gymnasium, I studied math, uh, statistics and physics, actually. I yeah. find physics quite interesting. It was more like from an interest point of view. Uh, my, my father and my, my parents were like, what are you going to do? with this. this. What are you going to yeah. do when you grow up? <laughs> um, except being a professor, you know, that was like the only way out. I'm like, no, you, yeah, I'm probably going to work with math. Yeah. Uh, so after that, I, I was, during my studies, I was uh, contacted by a recruitment company that uh, Western Union, they needed uh, somebody that could help them develop their um, educational platforms. But uh, they needed some, like two people, uh, one that could speak Arabic and one that could speak the Yugoslavian, Yugoslavian languages like Bosnian, Serbian, uh, Croatian, Macedonian. Um, and they found one person that could speak both. Wow. And that Valuable. was me. Right? <laughs> yeah. See? That's where it comes in. Um, and w- with that, the, the deeper cultural knowledge around oh, yeah. those areas. Yeah. Because Western U- Union's prospects at that time was mostly Arabic and Yugoslavian speaking. Okay, that was their main market. Yes. So you start there? Yes. Creating their educational content? Well, the platform, platform. basically oh, the, yeah. their site, making sure that when you do uh, apply as a prospect, it doesn't take you three months to become, uh, uh, what do you say, like a, a retailer or oh, like yeah. within yeah, Western Union. It took three weeks, yeah. a month after we launched. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I worked with. Uh, initially, I was working as a some sort of assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, six months in, I became head of um, training. There we go. Yes, that was quite nice. That's a good journey. That got you into work life and mm-hmm. you're starting already to um, advance your career yes. really fast. Yes. How long were you there in total? Uh, at Western Union, I think it was like uh, around two years. Yeah. What got you to take the next step? Well, the next step, uh, when I, uh, that was in, in Skåne. I remember when oh, I was. was still in Skåne? Uh, that was okay, in Skåne. I was assuming you moved to Stockholm. Yeah, no, not yet. Not yet. So this is where I uh, moved to Stockholm. I went to my uh, boss at that time and I, t- I, uh, I didn't even say a word. I remember Piotr. Hi, Piotr. I know. <laughs> we still, uh, we're in contact. Oh, yeah. I went in and he immediately, he said like, oh my God, you're going to quit. Okay. Yeah, because my boyfriend at that time, husband today, he got a job in Stockholm. Um, 
And he was right. I was mm. going to go in and say, thank you for all the opportunities I've gotten. Uh, I am going to move on. What he said then is like, okay, but we need a, a somebody in Stockholm anyway, so I'm going to open an office for you. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that was like, yeah, I've had the privilege of having really good yeah. leaders. Piotr was one of uh, the bosses, uh, the leaders that saw me. And we all need to be seen at some point uh, in order to grow. Exactly, to in order to grow. Because mm. you can tell when someone has done a career that fast and advanced mm. that fast that probably... You've been given room to grow and and learn. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I started off in uh, Stockholm. Yeah. Then, um, and I think I was there uh, a year uh, until Svenska Spel contacted me okay. and wanted me to do a similar journey. Uh, a year later, I decided to uh, start my own company. I realized a little bit of how important it is, like for me personally to like with a higher, a higher, um, cause oh, yeah. into a, a brand, like what that means to me. I and can definitely see that today in the way you work yeah. today. So, okay. Starting, uh, your own business. Yes. Was that a big thing for you back then? Actually, no, no. but I, I did get a lot of reactions. Like, uh, are you sure? Mm. <laughs> it was way back when, you know, being a startup wasn't that hip. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but but for me, it was like, I don't know, I felt it was kind of a natural mm. uh, thing to do. Even in the moment, because many times people can, in hindsight, yeah. see that it was a natural thing. But no. it, you seem mm. to have it in the moment, it was the next step. Yeah, in the moment, it felt right. Even if, as I mentioned, like both people around, like my parents and everybody, uh, Everybody um, were like quite unsure <laughs> how this will go. But yeah, it went well. It was, I could say like with numbers, you could also find market imperfections mm. if you're good at statistics. And I found found quite a lot market yes. imperfections. Yes. And you shouldn't start a company if you don't solve a market or societal imperfection, obviously. And so I, that's the right starting point. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I saw that there was a, a huge need at that time for uh, some sort of product or service or something that could help schools out with children that were under-stimulated in school. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Doing what I'm doing here. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking there are a lot of initiatives for children that are overstimulated, and that is super important. Children that are overstimulated or under-stimulated, like I was in school, tend to kind of pull back mm. um they're bored in school mm. they do a lot of interesting other interesting kind of like not as good stuff oh, yeah. uh, or actions uh, but really smart ones uh so you would want these children to be um stimulated in the right way yeah utilize their skills absolutely. in a productive way absolutely as all children should be met where they stand so should they so what was your solution it was a platform yeah. for for kids uh, where you could start off with your own interest like from physics math usually it was physics and math and yeah. studies show that kids that are understimulated have that type of interest uh, whether they know it or not mm -hmm. that's usually where they tend to go oh, yeah. um, so i could absolutely 100% relate to that it sounds like something we've been talking about should be implemented in regular school like mm. Period. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is what we were aiming for. And how does it go? So you have, you've seen the problem. Mm -hmm. You have a solution. Mm -hmm. How do you, your go-to-market strategy? Mm. Well, we did a lot of testing, of course, but way back. 
I think today it's like quite common. You work agile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back then, uh, I didn't know that. Before uh, it was called agile. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, no, we were doing a lot of tests. Uh, and as I mentioned, I could relate. And I had that type of uh, friends with their kids yeah. with, with similar um, situations, let's yeah. say. And we had a quite uh, a lot of dialogue with cities, schools, mm. to make sure that it's it's properly made, mm. not uh, by us, but for somebody oh, yeah. that is it is aimed for. They have this, uh, their own statistics and can see their problems. So if you're coming and reassuring that you really have this problem and here's the solution, mm. it should make sense to start implementing absolutely, or at least trying out some solutions. Absolutely. And if you have, which you, it's not quite difficult to to do the math when it comes to like how much do you save in mm. order to uh, stimulate children of all all uh, sorts let's say um well, we've yeah. been talking about the school system previously we've been talking about there's been so much legacy in the mm. school systems and it's hard mm. to come with solutions and implement them how did you go about and did you see the same problem absolutely yeah yeah i'm not gonna say anything else because it's absolutely the truth um no it was a little bit more difficult in the beginning i i feel like with everything i do I bring numbers. I bring oh, numbers. Yeah. Numbers tend to to make people understand just where we stand that and where we need to go. Uh, and that has helped me a lot. I think that might be uh, the main takeaway from this episode, like really the yeah. way you <laughs> pack everything with actual numbers. Yes. Yes, I would say that is absolutely the best. I wouldn't say weapon because that is the wrong <laughs> word, but something you, you it's good to have yeah. uh, when you want to prove your point, yes. especially if it's a good point. Yeah, and important. exactly. So uh, how long did you do this? I had the company, I think, for three years. Yeah. And meanwhile, I realized that it doesn't matter how much statistics you have, how many numbers you have, if you can't communicate it. Mm. Yeah, it so, just stays there. Oh, and, yeah. And you, you kind of, we all know that there is a lot of statistics being made and insights being made uh, around, like in Sweden, there is a lot of open data yeah. that nobody's even seen and utilizing. Yeah. Um, so how do we make sure that it, Make sure that people can can find it, oh, the yeah. insights, and uh, that the right people find the right insights when needed. Oh, yeah. So that's another problem you're seeing here? Absolutely. Yes. So um, I went back to school after I, I sold the company and I went back to studying communication oh, and yeah. branding. Yeah. Yeah. With the um, goal of being able to communicate your statistics better mm. and, and further implement uh, solutions to problems. Mm. So you started communication. Did you worked with it for a bit, right? Yes, I worked uh, uh, while I was studying. I worked at Linksai, strategy and branding uh, agency, and I think my numbers came quite well there because they work a lot with positioning brands uh, based on numbers, like segmentation, value based and interest based, and whatnot segmentation. So you got to mix both worlds. Yes, that was that was my school. I must say within communication. And uh, so with this new found uh, tool, maybe in your toolkit, mm. communication, mm. what was your next steps in? Well, I realized that communication uh, business is quite, let's say it has low perspective density. There are not many perspectives being represented. In the industry. In, in the industry, yeah. Which is another industry <laughs> where we have the same uh, imperfection. And we know that uh, communication and branding uh, and marketing is quite 
important in order to create change? Definitely. It's like the main organ, I would say, in order to create change. You're speaking to the masses uh, continuously. Yes. And uh, we're not, I mean, if the industry, if this industry mm. is only speaking or representing few, yes. then we have a huge problem. Mm. With the power that it has. Absolutely. With all that comes with it. Mm. So I felt like, no, we, I'm not going into another industry mm. that looks like this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do something about it. So from the beginning, it was kind of like from a uh, communication industry point of view. Okay. So you're more looking to solve internal problems. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's why I started the social view. Mm. Initially, we were a platform where we were going to share knowledge about what it means to uh, be in, uh, in comms. Working with comms, like what is PR, what is uh, branding, what is marketing, uh, content marketing, and so on. Um, is that in order to give more people exposure to the industry and allowing them yeah, in? Exactly, without the buzzwords. Yeah. Without the, 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 you know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to make, uh, to create an interest. And with that, we got a lot of questions, like in a lot of requests regarding, like, do we want to do talks? Do we want to be... Like from a consulting point of view, do you want to work with us and so on? Which was quite interesting because obviously there was a huge need and uh, quite few were denying it, I must say. Also quite few were doing something about it at the same time. Mm. So it was uh, a clear market imperfection yeah. uh, and a societal imperfection, not yeah. to speak, not to say. Yeah, so we went from there. We started off being a platform. And spreading info. working off Facebook? No, initially we had our site. Yes, we had our, of course, we had all social. Social channels. Yes, okay. yes. But it was on the site uh, based. Yeah. yeah. So we had people writing for us uh, and people that were writing had mostly perspectives that were not being represented uh, oh, yeah. within uh, marketing and comms. There was an opportunity for them to build their own brand at the same time as they were sharing their knowledge and their perspective and their take on marketing and comms. And when was this? How, many, how long time ago was this? Okay, so I, we started it, I think, 2016. So before I ask you about how it has evolved since then, I want to ask you, have we seen change in the industry <laughs> since this time? I mean, yes, and depends on, on what change means. It's like when we talk about impact, everybody's talking about impact. What is that? Um, so a lot of people are talking about it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a whole lot more than when I started. Yeah, so the industry, I think, is aware uh, in theory. But there's that gap in it becoming practically applied. Yes, and it's going to be difficult until we have a larger rep level of representation, higher mm -hmm. perspective density in the industry. There will be no real change. Yes. There will be a lot of interest in mm -hmm. changing. And that's where you come in perfectly <laughs> with the social view as it is today. The way you frame it of building inclusive infrastructure. Mm. I love that sentence mm -hmm. because it really says uh, what's needed and how it becomes practical. Mm. So could you please elaborate on that? Mm. Well, mean, meanwhile, uh, when I was still working within marketing and comms, I still am partly, partially, I realized that it's a larger question than only within marketing and comms. So looking at uh, our industries in general, we had similar problems. And society. Absolutely. Large. Absolutely. So that's why we were thinking when we, the, the actions that we've made in, in um, 
the companies that we've been working in or I've been working in, but also within the companies that have collaborated with us, brought us in in order to get help when it comes to increasing perspective density is that it's so difficult to do it from the outside. It's mm. not enough. It is absolutely not enough to have a diversity and inclusion team. Especially when it's like on a voluntary, voluntarily oh, yeah. basis, you know. It's so that, you're uh, also doing this. Yes. But yeah, yeah. Your main job is not this, oh, but yeah. you you love this, and mm. this is what you. <laughs> so here, fix yeah, the company. exactly. And I I think like most of the time it's it's not since you don't have a mandate, mm. there is no impact being made. So there'll be a small group of people yes. sitting and bouncing ideas off, and yes. then nothing happens. Yeah, especially if you're looking to to implement it for real. So you can see like the difference in the bottom line and the growth and, and so on. You can't do that. Uh, it's not enough only with, with a diversity team. So what's the alternative then? It's to implement inc an inclusive infrastructure, so-called. Yeah. It's to work from the inside out. The next step would be to look at it. So you work with marketing, you work mm -hmm. with business development and so on. And then you add a layer of, of diversity and inclusion. That is the next step. But it's not the right step because it still takes a little bit longer because if you see your ordinary work mm. and then you add a little bit of diversity and inclusion on top of that, mm. it's not a part of you what you do. So looking at it as a, for example, as a communicator, you're not really doing your job properly if you exclude. So you need to look at it from it, like at it from that perspective. We need to have that in our everyday job. And it's not about excluding like a certain, okay, uh, For some reason, when we think about uh, diversity and inclusion, we think about ethnicity mm. or age yeah. or gender. Yeah. There's so much more, obviously. So what we need to do is to look at our communication in this case, mm. if it would be communication, and to see, are we excluding somebody with what we're saying right now? Oh, yeah. Just to have that awareness. Mm. And yes, sometimes you're not speaking to everybody, but you need to be aware of who you're not speaking with oh, yeah. and why that is and what comes with that. So more bringing, bringing it to the conscious, being conscious about what you're communicating yes. or how you're portraying your brand. Yes, that is uh, a big part of it. Mm. And when you've done that, then you need to make sure to have data to back oh, you up yeah. on that. Yes. So who are we reaching? Who are we not? What perspectives are we representing internally? What are, who are we not? And probably you could see like most of the time with the work that we've done is that the perspectives that you represent internally are usually the, the perspectives that you reach. And when you create awareness, you, you're broadening it, it a little bit, but not that much. Mm. So what you need is to look at what perspectives are we not uh, representing internally. And that's probably where you have your growing market. So that goes into recruiting them mm -hmm. and retaining this new talent. Absolutely. That's where, uh, for example, talent acquisition, you need to have clear KPIs. You yeah. need to make sure that you broaden your network when it comes to uh, finding new talent. Uh, and talent acquisition is long-term strategy. Recruitment is short-term. So you need to make sure that if you need, uh, say, you realize you need a communicator in within a month, that you don't go to your uh, colleague's friend. Because you 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 exactly, you'll get your colleague's friend all over again. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or your colleague, most likely. Um, so uh, I think like talent acquisition is like one of the most important part of uh, implementing the inclusive infrastructure. And I'm also getting like on the awareness or, or bring it to the conscious side. We have our perspectives that mm. we work after. We can, it's hard to have mm. another perspective than our own. Mm. And one way of doing it is adding perspectives by adding people with different perspectives. Mm. 
usually it starts off by uh, adding insights about a target group that you probably don't represent. So we look at what perspectives do you represent internally. That's the first point of view yeah. uh, we'll look at. What perspectives are you not? And then we create a kind of insights. We ask the target group that they don't reach and that they don't represent what so they have think. you access to that target group. Yes, we have that. Yeah. We've developed data points. It ended up as we, we reached 98% of Swedish minorities in oh. Sweden, the six largest minorities. So we, we speak directly to uh, Arabic speaking, Persian speaking, Somali speaking, Polish speaking, Spanish speaking, uh, and English speaking uh, ex- uh, that are not from the US or UK. So basically, you, usually we see in companies that uh, there are not that many Arabic speaking or Persian speaking or Somali speaking, which is quite like those are the three largest minorities in Sweden. Yeah. And you would want to both reach them, but also to hire them yes. <laughs> in order to reach them. Uh, so what we do is the next step is to ask that target group or that part of the po- Swedish population, what do you think about this brand? Mm. What do you think about them as employers, but also as from a consumer point of view? Then you'll get right insights on how to attract a target group or this target group that you really haven't been able to for some reason, one way or another. So we work. We start off with insights. So really getting the feedback of, yes. like you're saying, where we are today, yes. what we're missing and what is it that we're missing that they want sort of yes what are their interests and desires and how do we include them yes and based on that we add actions both from a talent acquisition perspective mm. we went, go through uh, pulses through the recruitment process and mm. see where it stops we see uh, with our measurement uh, is that sometimes you can see in recruitment processes that in who you attract who ap- applies for the job who gets uh, to come to the first, second, and third interview, who gets the offer, like job offer, and who actually takes the job offer. And you can see like super interesting things uh, along the way. Uh, we've seen in some companies, uh, actually in plural, some companies, uh, that uh, like in some parts of the recruitment process, you lose at least 50% of female, the female perspective. Or uh, at one point, we've seen like 100% of all Arabic speaking fell off on the second interview. Especially in a company where the purpose was to hire Arabic speaking. So ending up with candidates that lied within the norm of what company the companies already have. So their (laughs) infrastructure is set up to where they exclude sort of. Yeah, and and quite a lot. uh, And most often, I would say um, absolutely most often, it has nothing to do with anything else but us being humans. We are our perspectives. Oh, yeah. That's what we are, uh, and which is to be human. Yes, it's so human. And we've been speaking about this before, and I don't want to talk about this in a way where you're really putting blame. Like, we are limited yeah. in being human and having one perspective. Absolutely. Um, but what you do here, it's like the steps you just described. Mm. They're so transparent if you look at the data. Mm. So you can look where people fall off. Absolutely. But I'm guessing the majority really are blind to this, like totally blind to where the drop mm. lose certain applicants and, and so on. Yeah, I think like especially if it's not the same person um, being in the whole recruitment process. Oh, yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. of course, you lose track on who did what and what happened. And, you know, it's different. It's difficult to keep track. I totally understand that if you don't measure what perspectives you're leaking. Do you believe, because sitting here and, and 
we spoke previously when we did the Gather series and I found myself uh, uh, simplifying a lot. But I want to ask you, like looking forward, do you believe we will look back and be like, wait, how could we recruit in, or how could we work in this other way? Because hearing you say it like this, I'm not saying it's, uh, I'm not meaning to simplify it or saying it's easy. It takes a lot of work, but obviously we need to work in this way. Mm. Well, I'm going to start off by saying it is easy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's Thank okay to it. simplify it. No, Thank no, it is. Uh, I just think that there is uh, not a, a lot of awareness around how uh, how you can do that. I think the only difficult part is, or difficult, I wouldn't say it's the, the more difficult part, mm-hmm. is to set the right KPIs. So you don't measure for the sake of measuring, uh, for the sake of data, mm-hmm. but to have actionable data and actionable insights that are relevant for your organization. And KPI is key performance indicators yes. uh, for those yes. um, who didn't know that. Yeah, and that means basically to uh, goals. Yeah, exactly. And numbers. Yeah, it's a fancy word for goals. <laughs> yes, this is what we want to reach. <laughs> Speaking about the future, you're working with really interesting companies today. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to in the future? And what's your take <laughs> on this work looking forward? Well, I look forward, first and foremost, for uh, continuing to see the... Um, I would say the the positive response mm-hmm. uh, on this. You're meeting uh, people yes. who are really getting engaged in what you're saying. Yes, and we're absolutely also aware of that the companies and organizations that contact us mm. are mature. Mm. Oh yeah, not everybody's there. Support. Oh yeah, yeah, that's so true. No, but uh, we, we've got uh, we have that understanding, uh, but also it's understandable. But yeah, we've got a, a lot of positive feedback and a lot of interest. And I hope that continues. And of course, there is. Uh, we look forward to elaborating this. So this is just the first step, measuring perspectives internally, also measuring perspectives that are leaking in the company, what perspectives are leaving. Do we know, can we draw a conclusion, which we can, uh, to, for example, how does it go with, uh, does it have anything to do with the ones that are, the perspectives that are not being promoted, the ones that are maybe have other perspectives than the majority, like minority perspectives? Mm-hmm. And then you have that in black and white. And that I look forward to uh, implementing in a much larger scale, I would say. Very exciting. Because that's when we've seen the largest, the biggest change, the biggest impact. And you started this sort of uh, thinking of your journey. You started this with a bottoms up approach with the community and the the group and, and getting data points. And now you're mostly working top down, I think I would call it. Mm-hmm. If we take it back to the bottom-up approach, which I think we've focused a little bit on here with learnability, speaking directly to the people who are about to get in the career or take the next career step, this diversity work, what can the individual do in this? Or like if you feel excluded, sort of, or if you are part of the group that is excluded, what what are we communicating Mm. to them? Like a message of hope. Message of hope. Okay, so I would say, yes, we are seeing a difference. Um, There are things that are happening uh, in that area. Not everybody is privileged to choose wherever they want to work. Mm. Uh, However, I do believe that you're more privileged in that way than you might think sometimes. Mm. I usually don't stay in companies that are not including me. I think it's their loss. Yes. And that's what I see in a lot of, a lot of companies where you, when we talk about leaking perspectives, it has the, the, the perspectives that are mostly leaking uh, are unfortunately the minorities yeah. in Sweden. Uh, and then you see that 
a lot of minorities are starting their own companies, their own networks. As I say, we build our own rooms, our own uh, fancy rooms, our own round tables and so on. And like, for example, the social view is becoming not only a company, but a corporate group with a lot of other companies. Um, there's a, a lot of loss for companies that are not keeping their perspectives yes. that are like from a minority perspective, of course. And I love um, that this loss is measurable today. Absolutely. That is so measurable. You can see like companies that are losing their talent, like minority perspective talent, are also not doing as well. Mm-hmm. I know that somebody was asking me the other days, like, uh, can you see the diversity um, programs are going worse? I'm like, no, it's not the diversity programs. It's actually the product and the service. Mm-hmm. It's the actual product and the service. It's been delayed. It's been, you know, because you're missing the, the, all the pieces in the puzzle in order to create a product for everyone. I, I really love your message there. I would second that, like whoever's feeling unappreciated or really not like being included in the work quit. And it's, yeah. it's hard to say that because we're, it's, it's, mm. it's not that easy, of course. That's how learnability is meant to be a proactive approach. So if mm. you're assuring yourself that you're learning what's needed, you're able to make the career acceleration that you're looking to, mm. you will be able, mm. uh, hopefully, to take the next opportunity and that this company... Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And I know that maybe some of you listening will be like, oh, but you should... They should stay and, you know, f- work from the inside, like, you know, the Tro- Tro- Trojan uh, horse. Um, usually the Tro- Trojan horse, Trojanska um, hesten, as we say in Sweden, uh, that phenomenon is, it means that you work from the inside out, but you also bring in more perspectives. Mm. But then you have to have the mandate in order to do that. Yes. If you're alone. It's so difficult. Yes. It's super difficult. I mean, it is a minor- from a minority perspective, not only being a minority, but being a minority in the minority. Um, <laughs> it is difficult and uh, we should watch out for tokenism, which is like directly related to, um, psychological, um, uh, well-being or non-well-being. Uh, you should look out for yourself yeah. and take care of yourself and be and that, aware of that. I think, uh, the social view is a better Trojan horse where you come in with all the tools. And if you look at the, like where the example comes from, mm. there's several people coming out yeah, of this. Trojan exactly. Horse. And that is the point. Yeah, I mean, to get yeah. in and then you bring a lot of people in yes. and a lot of perspectives in, in order to, uh, create change. And that taking that battle by yourself, I definitely encourage it as a first step. Try to affect mm, change. Absolutely. Uh, but if you make that your career, you might just be swallowed. Mm. Yeah. And you can see also like a lot of studies show that you tend to change yourself mm. for the sake of the norm and yeah, the majority's the majority. um, way of being. And you, you don't want to be losing yourself. Yes. Uh, so stay true to yourself. Speaking about the social view becoming a corporate group, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about collaborations, which I know you're big on. What's your take on collaboration and how can we enable wider Mm. collaborations in order to affect change? Mm. Well, I think uh, it's not news for a lot of people. Um, Alone is not, being alone is not being the strongest, you know, as we say in Sweden. Of course, you need to work together. That is how you learn 
I know that one of the questions I think you wrote were like, what is your um, life hack when it comes to learning? Yes, we're yeah. about to get into those. Yeah. So you can give an answer. I'm just going to give you yes. it right now. Uh, and it is to teach others. Mm. Yes, that's my answer as well. Yeah. The best way to learn is to teach. Yes. Um, and to include and to involve mm. others in what you do. Um, so I, I don't, I, I'm absolutely like huge advocate mm. for partnerships mm. in all way, ways, shapes and forms. Uh, and we've had a lot of agencies, companies and so on coming yeah. to us and asking if we want to collaborate. And as soon as we find a clear synergy, we're all for that. And uh, to get you some more incoming uh, requests, where can people get in touch with you if they are listening to this and like, damn, this work is amazing. We need to work with them. Call me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> my number is, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, send me an email. Susan at thesocialfew.com. Perfect. Just send me an email and let's have a coffee. We have a, a super amazing uh, barista at WeWork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so feel free to, you know. Send me an email and let's do coffee. Let's grab a coffee. Yes. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? Um, I would say like a lot of people are talking about work-life balance. I don't know if it's like if there is such a balance, but just like generally um, stopping for a moment, you know, uh, my, my mind, I feel like it works like 24-7. Um, I see, and I don't know, good or bad, but I see a lot of things in numbers. So I feel like even when I dream, I dream in, in that way. But sometimes I feel like just to stop, like even when I work out, I don't stop. I listen to something. Um, I look at, I watch something. Um, no, but I think like five years, last five years, I've noticed that it has kind of affected me not stopping. And just like giving myself time to think oh, yeah. just, just, or not thinking, you know? And I think, like you said, there is no like work-life balance set rule to mm. live after. I think no. it's very individual, Exactly. but working more towards the balance. Yeah. And what is balance for you? Like yes. what, when your body says like, oh, you need to take it easy. It's good to be able to listen to your own body. And that is something that I haven't been that good at. Uh, but have improved the last five years. Being more in tuned. Yes. So lastly, what are you eager to learn within the near future? How, okay, that is a good, good question. Wow, what do I want to learn? I'm looking at developing a platform to democratize statistics and data and insights. Oh, Would you mind sharing some of the... Ooh, I don't know if I can. Early ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say this. Uh, everybody should have access to the right insights. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, there are a lot of data, a lot of data yes. out there that nobody's utilizing. So I'm guessing, don't, uh, this, I'm not trying to <laughs> <laughs> give out your idea, but like uh, the fundamentals might be creating something interactive Uh, with the data that anyone can use at any time. Yes, and there are similar platforms to that, and, and we're looking into collaborations. And what I want to see is, I want to learn how, if you're not interested in math, if you're not interested in numbers, yeah. how can this be of interest for you? That is something that I would like to learn. So that's taking uh, 
education, communication and uh, edutaining, educating and entertaining at the same time, maybe all yes. in one yes. challenge. And I would like to see how learnability plays in there. Do you have to have high learnability skills in order to want to know more? Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your journey. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Great talking. And we'll see each other on the stage quite soon on the internet days. Yes. Look forward to that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Learnability Podcast is produced by Levels. Working in the fields of digital transformation, innovation, product development and venture. If you want to know more about us, visit at wearelevels.com. And oh yeah, if you want to find additional material and contribute to the platform, you can do that at learnability.online. That's learnability.online. Looking forward to getting in touch with you. 